Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, this is Tommy with Ops Analytica. We have been doing a ton of research on our client's success. And what we have found is that the clients that are holding their teams accountable every single shift in every single location, every single day to just focusing on the basics of great restaurant management, cleanliness, um, stock and readiness, food quality, food safety, they're running better restaurants and they are increasing sales, they are increasing profits, they are running safer operations, and most importantly, their guest satisfaction is through the roof because guests are getting exactly what they expected to get. So I invite you to come and check us out at opsanalytica.com. Just search restaurant checklist app and see what focusing on the basics can do for your business. Hey, welcome to the Order Up podcast. Uh, this is Tommy Yanolis, uh, one of your illustrious hosts, and it's good to be back on the phone. I got a great guest for us today. I've got Michael Pullman here with us. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Tommy. Nice to be here, Mike. Oh, uh, yeah. So Michael is uh, the global sales manager for Zeus Dynamic Scheduling. And uh, Michael and I actually recently met through a mutual friend here in Denver, and we are both uh, obviously a providing software for the uh, restaurant space. And so we started chatting, and then we just found out we had a ton in common and, and whatnot. And I really wanted to uh, bring him on the podcast today um, because I wanted him to talk to you guys about where the scheduling software is going and, and what you should be looking for when you're looking at scheduling solutions. Because there is a wide range of scheduling solutions out there, and you don't want to get, make a big investment into a scheduling solution that's not going to have you prepared for the future of, with all of the regulation stuff. And we'll get into that um, in a while. So actually, so let's get real quick. I'll tell you guys a little bit about Zeus um, uh, just so, and I will obviously have links to the Zeus website in our show notes. So you don't have to worry about that, but you can check them out at Zeus, Z-U-U-S. Let me say that again. Z-U-U-S-Workforce.com, and uh, they were founded in 2007 in Adelaide, Australia. And so uh, Michael, as you might have, could have told, has an, an Australian accent, and he uh, runs sales for both the U.S. and Australia, and uh, I'll let him sort of get into why they got founded and all that. So, Michael, you are here on the Order Up show. This is a high-tech operation, as you can tell, and uh, so how you doing, man? Awesome. Go well, Tommy. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome indeed. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, Michael, I don't know if I, if I told you, but we always just sort of ask the same five questions to every guest, and that way, you know, our listeners can just kind of know exactly what they're going to get. And uh, if it's cool with you, I'm just going to uh, kick off with the first question. Let's dive into it, mate. Sounds good. Nice. So, here we go. Explain what you do today, and then take us through your sort of career progression from your first job in the industry. Sure. So I had uh, an interesting start. I graduated university in 2007 into 2006, rather into a market that was uh, that was pretty rough. So the end of the end of uh, 2006, we started to see some. Well, it was a boom time, and then the, the mid 2007, we saw uh, some crashes happening. Uh, by 2008, it was all over for graduates. So I took the first job that I could get, which was a graduate development program for the South Australian state government. And man, 
man. When I was in state government, it was round peg square hole time. It did not suit me at all. So I, uh, I, I lasted there for 18 months. And then I just, one day I went in in December, uh, in December, which is hot in Australia. And I, I was walking into work and I was thinking, you know what, this is really not what I want to do. I can see my next 40 years here at the state government. And uh, there's a guy, two desks over from me who gets paid to read the newspaper all day every day his job is media monitor and i went you know what i'm not going to do that so i i walked into my boss's office and said look that's it for me i'm, I'm out of here i'm going to find something else uh, i gave him a couple of weeks notice and then uh, at the same time around that time i got introduced to the world of startups and software as a service and and uh revenue uh recurring revenue i thought you know this is where i want to be this sounds great so i had coffee with a friend of mine who was rachel skinner she was hiring for a sales position at one of her uh at her startup which at that time was uh, in the garage of the founder's basement. So I, I accepted the job and I started there. Um, prior to that, I'd had hospitality experience. So I used to manage events for, um, a, for a country club in Adelaide and we'd have 150, 250 guests, sometimes 12 events in a weekend. So I had a really good introduction to hospitality through working that job while I was in uni, 2006, 2007, 2008. Uh, and so when I graduated, I thought, you know, this this might be a, something that I could do in the future. So having had that experience as a team lead in that environment, uh, I could see the potential of the scheduling software that we had at the time, uh, and it was it was pretty powerful. So we um, the first thing that I did was got on the got on the horn and spoke to every single Subway franchisee in the course of about six months. And then once I'd spoken to every single Subway franchisee, I ended up signing up quite a few of them, about half of them actually. Uh, so we we grew the business from its first 20 customers to its first 400. And then I, I kind of hit a plateau and I knew I needed to branch out. So I went to the UK, uh, lived in London for two years, as most Aussies seem to do. That's the that's the thing that Aussies do is head over to London, live in a shoebox with eight other people. And uh, <laughs> so I lived over there for a couple of years, improving operations for businesses like Westfield. Uh, Westfield with the big malls, we did one project where we increased their customer spend, their average customer spend by 75%. Uh, and we're talking millions of dollars, millions of pounds worth of uh, worth of uh, ROI. So did that and then came back to Australia in 2012, rejoined Zeus. And at that time, I said to Rachel, look, I want to be, you know, I want to be the person to take this to the US if we decide uh, that's something we want to do. And so we did. We said, yep, let's do it. Uh, before I left Australia, I closed a, a really big deal working with uh, one of Australia's biggest franchisors. They had 400 locations. Uh, which was an awesome, an awesome thing to be involved in, uh, to to close that deal and get to know all the executive team, all the franchise board, uh, all the franchisors. That was phenomenal. And then, so I did that, and then made the jump over to the US as the point man for the uh, for the US operations. So here I am in Denver, and we're uh, we're helping customers out in Denver and uh, and all over the United States with scheduling. Nice. It's funny. I have some law experience too. I worked for. Uh... Caruso affiliated holdings, but uh, they have like some of the premier malls in Los Angeles, like the big one. And oh, cool. uh, I was a concierge manager at one, and uh, we won a Wall Street Journal award while I was there. It's called the Grove in Los Angeles. So malls are a, malls are a, a tricky business, man. It's, it's a cool, it's, we should just chat about that as well offline here. But yeah, that's funny that people have mall spirits. Westville was a competitor of ours, actually. I bet, I bet Westfield's all over the place now. They started in in Australia as well, and then they branched yep. out, and now they're now they're in nearly every country. Yeah, they're huge. Um, so, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? 
Yeah, right now our focus is labor compliance. So with the regulations changing so much and all the different ridiculous regulations that we've got. So here in the United States, for anybody who's listening outside of the US, you've got federal regulations, which are which apply across every single state. Then you've got state-based regulations, which of course are different in every single state. And then you've even got the next layer down, which is county regulations and city regulations. So you might have a store on one side of a mall, let's use a mall, for example, in uh, in South Dakota. And then uh, on the other side of the mall, you've got another store. Maybe you've got an Auntie Anne's and you've got a subway, one side and the other. The employees work across those two locations. But what we're finding is if you're on one side of the mall, one set of county regulations apply. On the other side of the mall or the other side of the street, another set of county regulations apply, which is really, really frustrating and really hard for for business owners to navigate. So what we've done, uh, we're putting a really big focus on labor compliance, just helping out with that. And with things like predictive scheduling, uh, some of the scary legislation that's coming out of uh, the Western the Western states, uh, predictive scheduling is a rule where you have to give your employees seven days notice of their shifts, which is pretty hard to comply with because most restaurant managers put out their schedules maybe three days in advance. Some of the more switched on ones do it four or five. You're now going to have to do it seven. Oh, and by the way, if you change their shift within seven days of their of today, so let's say we're scheduling at the moment for next Monday. If we then if it gets to Tuesday and we change their shift on a Tuesday for next Monday, we have to pay them time and a half for that whole shift. If they were starting at seven and finishing at three, and then we make their start time eight o'clock instead of seven o'clock, we have to pay them time and a half for that whole shift. So that's some pretty scary legislation that's coming out. And San Francisco is taking it one step further. Uh, we have to have, give employees two weeks notice. So that kind of stuff is um, is hotting up. And it's it's really hard for business owners to, to get their heads around and to not let alone get their heads around. They have to actually train their managers and teach their managers to comply with that legislation. So what we're doing at the moment is trying to automate all of that for restaurant managers. So when they build a schedule, they can look at that schedule. They get a red flag that says, hey, there's a problem here. If they make a change, it's going to automatically update and it's going to say, hey, by the way, if you make this change, you have to pay time and a half for this employee. There's the kinds of things we're working on at the moment, boosting their compliance and reducing their costs through letting the managers know when they're making a change that has a financial impact. And then are you guys, and uh, do you guys go out and get the laws, the regulations, and then program them into the system? Or do the restaurant managers have to tell you guys, hey, this is a law we're subject to type of thing? Yeah, part of the part of the implementation of Zeus is that we do all that for you. So when you sign up with Zeus, let's say you're a 45 store franchisee, uh, you guys, your people in head office are the experts on labor law. So what we do is work on your relevant labor laws. We work with the people in head office to build the laws and build. We we have them in Zeus called agreements. There are agreements that might apply at a particular store. They might apply for a city, a group of stores. They might apply for a county or a state. Uh, we, you can apply those different agreements at those different levels. We build those agreements with you during implementation. And then as they get updated, we teach you how to update those. So generally, one person within your head office is responsible for looking after those agreements. That would generally be the person who's your expert in labor law. And then uh, they work with the Zeus implementation team in the beginning. And then, of course, we train you to uh, to build those laws and agreements and um and uh, conditions in there so that you don't have to rely on us to update them and you don't have to rely on a 
uh, contracting a labor lawyer every time you want to make a change to your agreements. Sure. Because it used to be like when I was a restaurant manager, scheduling was just a pain because you had, you know, 50 slips of paper for people who wanted shifts off, right? And then, <laughs> you know, you were just trying to fill the shifts. And that was all you thought about was, okay, let's just get enough coverage to cover the shift. And that was a gigantic pain in the booty. And then scheduling softwares came out and they, they automated a, a lot of that, right? Like parts of that got automated where like people could trade shifts and then the manager could just do it. But now it's like, it's like a 3D puzzle because you still have to do the basic stuff, get somebody in the right shift who can work that job. But now you have to be wary of, like you said, am I changing that guy's schedule to do this? And, and has he worked too many hours? And also when you start to take in not just the labor laws, but you take in the minimum 15 that the whole, all the unions were pushing and everyone was pushing. So now, you know, it's, you know, it's just, it's just becoming mind boggling just to get anybody into your building to work. Yeah, the labor costs we've we've seen are increasing. So because the minimum wage is increasing and you have to pay benefits for employees and then they're looking at also changing, everybody knows about changing the threshold on exempt employees. Labor costs I'm seeing as a trend are increasing. Some of our operators who are doing 25% labor as a percentage of sales are now doing 28%. Some are doing 35 and they, they, they know they're unprofitable. They know they've got to Get it, got to get it down to late twenties. So we're seeing those um, those rates increase, and that's when it's it, like what uh, United States businesses in the restaurant and retail industries I see are doing quite badly is forecasting sales. What we have to do in Australia, because our we went through this in the nineties, our uh, our minimum wage went up, 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 and kept going up. In fact, to hire an employee, say a college student. Uh, who's who wants to work just a couple of hours a week? We have to pay him eighteen to twenty dollars an hour, and that's the equivalent of fourteen to seventeen US dollars. So we're paying, we're, we're having to pay them quite high wages, which means we had to get really efficient in Australia about forecasting sales and making sure those sales forecasts are accurate, forecasting how many people are going to come through the doors, how many sandwiches we're going to sell, how many burgers we're going to sell. We had to get really, really accurate about that because. We can't make changes to those shifts. And I think the same thing's happening right now in the United States as what happened in Australia and across Asia Pacific in the 90s and uh, in the noughties. So we're seeing those changes happening and I'm just encouraging restaurant owners to get ahead of it, retail retail businesses to get ahead of it and just say, look, you know, we know we need to get these forecasts right because we're not going to be able to change the shifts in the future. So let's, instead of using our best guess or instead of relying on a restaurant manager to say, yeah, I think sales will probably be, Oh, 10 grand next week based because they were 10 grand last week. That's not good enough anymore. You've got to have a algorithm based, a, a data driven decision about how many people you're going to have on the counter every day. Otherwise you're just not going to make money. Yeah. yeah it's just, the government just seems to get out of everybody's way, but yeah, it, I am. That's crazy. And in, the, in that, the absence of that, we'll have to build some software to fix it. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. And like, you know, that's true. I mean, yeah, I totally agree with that as well. But like, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, you just, it's not, you can't just do what you did 10 years ago and think it's going to be okay. And like you said, you, if you don't know, if you, like the forecasting is so key because that, that drives the entire labor model for the next week or the next two weeks out. So um, great answer to that question, by the way. Uh, Thanks, what man. is the one? <laughs> no problem. 
Uh, what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? Uh, the big thing that's keeping me up at night, I think that's by extension keeping the people that I work with all day, every day up at night is the changing the changing regulations. Like as things change and become more complex, like we talked about, it's just not sufficient to have a restaurant manager managing your labor compliance anymore. You just, they, they like you said, the scheduling is a 3D puzzle. They've got to take into account the how many people they've actually got available. They've got to look at how many people are requesting off. They've got to look at what their, they think their sales patterns will be based on maybe a guess, best guess from last week's point of sale printout, if they even go that far. And then they've got to layer on top of that, okay, all of these different regulations. And if they look after two stores, heaven forbid that they're in two different jurisdictions because that means that they've got a whole nother set of regulations to look at. So yes, some restaurant managers are capable. Some retail retail guys who are looking after a couple of retail stores, they're more than capable of doing that. But is every single restaurant manager capable of that? I don't think so. We're seeing we're seeing about a 20%, uh, sorry, 30%, uh, 30% of the restaurant managers get it. They understand it. They can manage to these labor laws. The other 30%, they... They kind of understand it. They do their best, but you know they're 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 looking at these numbers, and it's so complex. They're they're lucky if they can just get a schedule out that puts enough people on the floor during the week, forgetting about the regulations. And then the other the other thirty to forty percent, they're guys that just guys and girls that just don't care. They'll just throw a schedule up, and then that's it, you know. And then then it's not their fault that their business, their sector of the business, their store is running high labor numbers. It's the government's fault. It's the business's fault for not giving them training. It's everybody else's fault. So what we're doing at Zeus is just bringing in a program of standardization across the whole across the whole organization. So if you've got 120 stores, I was working with a, a franchisee in Texas. They've got 120 120 stores across um, Texas and then Nebraska and Wyoming, Colorado, uh, all over the place. So they've got a number of different laws that they have to be compliant with. And what their big focus was standardization. So at the before they started using Zeus, they had everybody using Excel spreadsheets that got broken and formulas got changed and it didn't really calculate what they needed to. So then they brought in standardization. And of course, without the standardization came varying results. Some stores were doing great because the manager was switched on. And a lot of stores weren't doing very well. So we standardize that across the whole organization. Then all of a sudden their results start to come into line. And then you can very easily pick up the patterns from one store to the next as to, okay, this store is not performing. And then you can drill down into the data and say, why? You know, instead of running blind and waiting for the payroll report or the P&L to come out, which comes out at the end of the month, but realistically, after the finance team have done their job, it comes out two weeks into the next month. That's six weeks after the beginning of the month. That's way too late to make any decisions. So what we're trying to do is bring that reporting, what we've done for a number of businesses, bring that reporting from six weeks when it's too late to the end of each day or the next day or the end of the week. So you're making decisions on labor. Okay, yesterday it was quiet because it was it was really windy and we're expecting a rainstorm today, so it's probably going to be quiet today. And yes, I can see that in the numbers, there's a drop in sales, but oops, the labor cost percentage for this particular store was up. They didn't cut enough people. So the area manager straight on the phone to these guys and girls saying, hey, your sales are up, your sales are down, but your labor costs are up. You need to think about cutting some people because your weather is going to be affecting your trade for the next three or four days. So it allows area managers to identify those coaching moments earlier instead of waiting for the P&Ls, which is six weeks late. And actually, I'm really curious. And I have no idea what the answer to this, but let's say I'm 
let's say I'm in that group of 30% who doesn't care. Like, yep. I, you know what? I can barely get the schedule out. I'm understaffed. I just, I'm throwing it up. If the government finds out that I'm doing this incorrectly, what happens? Yeah, often it'll result in a Department of Labor audit. So it can come from the Department of Labor or it can come from a state department. Uh, department of Labor, they're, they're called various things in different um, in different, uh, in different jurisdictions. But uh, yeah, if you get a DOL audit, it's, uh, it's, it's serious business. They want to look at all of your schedules. They want to look at all of the punches. They want to make sure if you're in California that each employee has signed off on a variation of shift. So for example, if someone was scheduled from seven till three, and the manager cuts back their shift till 2.30. They only got paid from 7 till 2.30 because they went home for a perfectly valid reason. Then the employee has to physically sign off on that shift change. They have to sign a piece of paper that says, I was going to get paid 7 till 3. I actually got paid 7 till 2.30 and I'm okay with that. And the, the government wants to look at all of that data. So that's a, that's a, serious, uh, a serious undertaking. So you don't want one of those. And then so... So then I so then I don't have those slips, right? Because I don't care. Whatever, dude, you're cut. I don't care because it's not my restaurant. Because ultimately, and this has been the problem across the hospitality industry forever and a day. And I've literally watched this happen. I have fired a person, and I worked in a mall restaurant, and they walked across the hall because we had two restaurants as you came in this doorway of the mall, right on either side. They literally like I canned them. And they walked right out my door, right into my, like, the guy across the hall's door and got an application and started filling it out. So, like, so the managers, you know, if you're not, like, a career guy and you're not, like, the operating partner of a restaurant, you're just a manager and you're just trying to keep your head above water, you know, you know that there's, you know, an experienced restaurant manager is going to get hired. And, you know, and because the restaurant industry is so bad, this industry in general is so bad about calling and following up with people and like, why did you can this guy? You can't even ask those questions, you know what I mean? And you're instructed by HR and legal to not answer those questions, you know? All you can really say is, I would not hire this person again, or you can get sued, right? Yeah. So you're not going to say, this guy's a jerk and, like, screwing up the labor schedule. So let's just assume that's the guy, Right. So he doesn't fill out any of those little slips of paper. You can get fined. That's what I'm getting to is you can get fined for all this, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's serious fines that are uh, that are involved with some of this. Uh, one one figure I saw the other day was 25K for a single labor violation. So a business got fined, fined 25,000 for just a single violation. And in the worst cases, it can be hundreds, 200, 300, thousands of dollars. Uh, not only back pay, but then also fines. See, if you if you screw up overtime for an employee, don't pay them overtime. You have to pay the overtime, of course, because it's it's back paid. But you also have to pay a bunch of fines from the Department of Labor. So it's it, it's it's such a small investment in software like Zeus. It doesn't maybe it doesn't seem like it at first blush because you can't see the ROI. But to avoid that sort of thing happening and to have really solid records of scheduling time and attendance and what was approved and paid for people for every single day for the past five years. As soon as a DOL inspector sees that, he's going to go, yeah, okay, these guys are using a system that actually that actually tracks all of this stuff. I, I'm hands off. I don't really need to worry. I, I know these guys are doing the right thing. So they might look into it, do a cursory check of the records, but with a system like Zeus, you're much more likely to be able to show the inspector, okay, here's all the numbers you need. And uh, it's it just it gives you a, a degree of safety, a degree of security. And do you guys handle those like sign-offs within your system? 
Yeah, I've got a number of different ways of handling it. Uh, the example I gave California, you can print out a schedule variation report, which just details, okay, well, this is what was scheduled for the employees. This is what was actually approved. And the employee just signs off on a line at the end of the uh, at the end of the week, there's a little section for the employee to sign off. They just initial in there that they can they can see that these are the shifts that they're going to get paid for, handled. So really simple. It's one sheet of paper for the whole week uh, for all of your employees. So just a matter of you know, putting a squiggle on there and then you're covered. So that sort of stuff we handle. Uh, we're working on a New York, um, working with a franchisee in New York at the moment on a labor compliance piece for him. Uh, so that's going to be that's going to be pretty exciting to be able to handle all of the New York laws as well. So we're in the discovery phase, figuring out how we can best help them at the moment. And that's the kind of thing we do with with uh, restaurant chains all the time. Is we do an audit with them, do a discovery session, figure out what okay, what are the cases that Zeus could handle? What are the cases that we can't handle at the moment? What does it make sense for us to be able to handle in the future? And then we give customers a timeline. We can say, okay, in, in three months, in six months' time, we're expecting to be able to handle this, this, and this regulation. Uh, do you want to sign up now or do you want to wait for that, that period of time? And then you can, uh, and then you can have uh, that, that particular compliance piece handled. And most of the time, customers will come on board with the knowledge that they're going to be able to be fully handled within three to six months. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, what is the one thing that you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? Forecasting, man. Come on, guys. Get your <laughs> forecasting sorted. <laughs> like, we're, I'm still. I talk to restaurant owners and restaurant managers every day. We had the Colorado restaurant show back in November, and I'm talking to restaurant managers there uh, because a lot of RMs go to the show just to see what's about, see what new things are coming out. And uh, I said to them, "How do you do your scheduling? How do you how do you do your forecasting?" And they go, "Oh, well." I usually know that like on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, it's, it's going to get busy. And so, you know, I'll put six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, however many people on the, on the floor. And I said, what if it doesn't get busy? Oh, well, you know, then it's maybe, maybe marketing haven't done their job or maybe it's quiet. They just, they don't understand the critical nature of forecasting, getting those sales forecasts right. And they're not making data-driven decisions. You know, they're not looking at the sales forecast and saying, okay, this time last year it was, we did 52 grand uh, for this week. But this year the schools are out earlier and oh, the weather's a lot better. And look at all these other factors that are piling up. And there's a parade on Saturday out the front of the store. I'm going to do 75 grand this week. But they don't, they, they, they kind of, they, figure it out and they put in their basic needs on the schedule, but then they don't adjust for it. Whereas if you use a data-driven forecast, if you help the managers to make a data-driven decision, then you put your schedule in there and then you run an overlay over the top that says, hey, you should add two people here. You should add a person here. You should add an extra person there. And by the way, Thursday night's going to be pretty quiet based on last year's trade or based on current trends. So you need to take a person away from Thursday night. So it's about it's not about cutting labor to the bone. It's about shifting labor from those periods, the shoulders of the shift when it's it's not really very busy, so you don't really need to have that many people in, to the center of the shift when it's the busiest. So you're shifting labor from the shoulders into the center when it's the busiest, when you've got the most number of people on the floor and when you've got – so that you can have enough people on the counter to serve those people and make them maximum revenue. That's what it's all about. So businesses I'm seeing at the moment are just not doing forecasts, not taking forecasting enough seriously. Sure. Now, and, and the whole restaurant industry is obviously behind the curve technologically versus other industries, right? Like retail is pushing the limits and whatnot. But like we've always been behind 
the behind the curve technology now, like you, our app, all these apps, registers, all this, this data is starting to get exposed, but the people that are in control in the businesses, you know, they're just starting to start to react to some of this stuff. You know what I mean? It's taken five or six years of having access to a lot of this technology, but those guys just not like, you know, they're just starting to, like you said, I'm mean, going to use your parlance or switch on and starting to go, wait a second, I can actually make this easier. I can start making data-driven decisions because it's not an industry that's ever been about data-driven decision-making other than like McDonald's. Like, you know what I mean? They, they've had it figured out from day one in a lot of ways, but like the rest of the industry has been very slow to adapt to that stuff. And I mean, and, and, and it needs to become a data-driven the restaurant industry needs to focus on being data driven in everything in ops in scheduling and um you know all aspects marketing because the the razor thin margin means there's no room for error you wouldn't flip so many restaurants if they were able to make smart data driven decisions they wouldn't have such a high failure rate you know as we do so we just got to get these guys in general, all you guys out there listening, you know, you got to start looking out beyond your POS system for the platforms that are going to really drive value into your ops. Yeah, it's pretty powerful to be able to make those data-driven decisions. And we're seeing, I've seen uh, a huge impact in making data-driven decisions across like, that, that restaurant chain that I mentioned, 400 restaurants. As soon as they started making data-driven decisions, they could immediately pick out based on the trends, okay, they were looking at CPLH, they were looking at productivity, they can pick out when a franchisee is likely to fail. So just for that fact alone, reducing the turnover of the franchisees, that can be a huge deal because you're not, uh, when when these customers walk into, ultimately what it means is when these customers walk into these restaurants, they've got a line that's four or five people deep or a wait that's 15 to 20 minutes. People just don't want to do that now they just don't want to sit and wait even though it's their favorite chain they're going to walk out and go across the street we've got a burger king opposite a taco bell down here by, by our office and uh i walked into the burger king uh, the other day looking for lunch and i waited for about six minutes and i said you know what i'm not going to wait any longer went straight across the street to the taco bell i'll probably never go back to that burger king because i know that there's going to be they're likely to wait for a long time. And it was because they didn't have enough people on the on the POS at the at the front of the store. They had one person, they should have had two. You know, customers are just so discerning and so fickle now. And it means when they walk out, they're, they're, they're much less likely than they ever have been to walk back in again. So it's something that we need to be taking into account and realizing that every lost customer is a, a pretty serious lost opportunity. So whatever we can do to minimize that happening, minimize that occurrence because people's needs are pretty similar you know they want great food with a smile uh, they want to add a decent price so if we can fulfill those needs then we've got a, a really good spot and we've got a really good opportunity to build brand loyalty ultimately by getting the for us it's by getting the right number of people on the on the floor at any given time for you guys at ops analytica tell me your product's amazing at running the perfect shift you know being able to script out a perfect shift and say okay to do a perfect shift, these are the checklists that you need to follow, that that sort of stuff. Uh, and then you can see the impact in both the sales figures and the customer retention figures and the productivity figures. So you could see, okay, they skipped this particular checklist in Ops Analytica. Oh, okay, that means that uh, over here in Zeus, I can see that their sales were down 10% on last year. 
compared to what they were. You can That's a data-driven decision, being able to say, okay, they skipped a checklist, that had an impact on sales. Let's make sure from now on that that checklist never gets skipped. Well, and, and, and what you said was so perfect too, is that it's all really about the basics. Like when you walk into a Burger King, you're not expecting to get like a Capital Grill steak. You're expecting to get a, a delicious cheeseburger, right, and fries, whatever, a drink. And so every time a customer walks into a restaurant, they, have, they know from brand marketing and advertising what their expectation is. And their expectation is to get, like you said, they're, I don't care what restaurant it is, they're expecting a clean restaurant that's ready for guests, which means that they can like get their drink and there's a lid and ketchup and, you know, whatever. They're expecting to get their food in the, the time frame that that, that, that brand is, has set as the expectation for food, right? So if it's fast food, they expect to get it within one to two minutes. You know what I mean? Um, and and there and I think people are willing to forgive a line if they feel like the restaurant's fully staffed to hand, and, and that there's just a line. There's just that many people in here, but the restaurant's fully staffed and ready to go. And you'll see this, like you know, you'll see this like a lot of, uh, like some sub shops where they go down to one or two people, and it takes like five minutes to make a sandwich when it should take like a minute because they don't have the amount of people they need behind the counter making the subs. And it was exactly your experience. And so when your expectation's not met, you walk into that Burger King going, I'm gonna, I wanna be clean restaurant, I'm gonna order a, a Happy Meal or whatever they, they're, one of their meals, I'm gonna order a number one big Whopper meal, and I'm gonna get it within a couple of minutes and I'm gonna leave and go back to work. And your expectation wasn't met because they didn't have enough staff on the front registers until you left. And like you said, you're not going to go back. And like restaurant managers, like they're so they're so in the battle of just trying to keep the place open and running that they they forget that that's how the customer's thinking, you know? Because the customer doesn't care that you didn't that you know you didn't staff enough today, you know? The customer doesn't care that you've got labor problems, you know what I mean? They don't care. They just want their burger in four minutes and they want to get out the door. And if you can't do it they're going to go somewhere else. No doubt. No doubt. It's about getting those basics right. If we don't get those basics right, we might as well not be in business. Yeah. Or, 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 actually, you won't be in business. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what we're seeing, you know, and then everybody too, and I mean, I think you and I talked about this the other day, and, and I don't want to get too much on the soapbox here, but everybody's focusing right now in the restaurant industry or so much emphasis is being spent on money and, and investment in the companies and all these things on new ways to drive sales and marketing, which is great. You've got to drive sales and marketing at the, a more competitive marketplace because we have delivery and we've got online ordering and all these other new channels to get sales in, right? And so, but that's where so much attention is being paid by the companies marketing their services out and by the industry and everybody's talking about sales and marketing and pickup and all that. But if you're not doing the basics, nothing else matters. You know, once again, it doesn't matter if Burger King spent a ton of money advertising to get you into that restaurant that day. Maybe you were going to get some sort of, you know, whatever their new LTO is. You walked out the door because the basics weren't being met. Yep. Music to my ears, Tommy. I think we're passionate about the same thing, getting those basics right, mastering the fundamentals. Yep, absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap up here. I know we're, we're going long here. Uh, recount one of the funniest things that's happened to you in your career or, you know, what you've seen with a client or whatever, like a funny or a horror story would be cool. Either one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, we all know uh, working in the restaurant industry, we deal with some, deal with some ridiculous problems, um, block drains and broken down freezers and, uh, and, and warm seafood come to mind. Uh, but I've got a, a quick story about a fun experience I had. So through the work that we did in Australia uh, with all of our Subway franchisees, we had about half of the Subway franchisees in Australia using Zeus uh, and still have actually. We, um, our customers tend to stick around for a long time, which we're very fortunate and very thankful to them for, uh, for their loyalty for us. Uh, so I went to a Subway brand conference and it was at Dreamworld on the Gold Coast, which is a big uh, theme park. And uh, when we were there, everybody was dressed up and uh, the theme was Toy Story. So we were all, we were all dressed up as Toy Story characters. And uh, I jumped on this thing called the Giant Drop, which is a massive uh, massive tower, 480 feet or something like that. And it, uh, you sit in this, uh, this round donut looking thing and it, it ejects you up into the up into the atmosphere super fast. And uh, so one of the most fun experiences I had was sitting next to a Subway franchisee and talking about labor compliance and forecasting and all this ridiculous stuff. And just as we were getting to the bit about scheduling and what I could do for him and that sort of stuff he was interested, he wanted to know, that's when the tower took off. And I was like, uh, so what we do is scheduling. I had this big, this big, uh, this big sort of uh, jump in my voice. And uh, he actually ended up after that conference, we had that. I didn't never got to get out my pitch, but uh, because because he and I had that shared experience of the ridiculous uh, the ridiculous Tower of Terror, um, we uh, he ended up becoming a customer, and he was he was awesome. Uh, he had six stores up on the Gold Coast, and he saved in the in the first six months that we worked with him, we saved him forty five grand, uh, which is a pretty big deal when you've got six stores. And then over the three years that I worked with him directly in improving his operations with scheduling time and attendance. Uh, we saved him $3 million and wow. that's like, that's some really big numbers. When you put $3 million back into somebody's pocket as a, as a subway franchisee, uh, we're, um, we're best friends. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. That's, that's, some, that's the most rewarding stuff. You're like setting him up for your big elevator pitch. And then I got to tell you, I can do, I can change your route. I can. At least you just pass out or puke or worse. I know. Right? I was I was dressed up as Buzz Lightyear as well, so that kind of made it uh, that that made it uh, extra extra special. But it was that no, was a blast. Um, getting you know getting to know those franchisees and, and going to their conferences and stuff. You just you you know you get to sit down and have a have a coffee with someone, sit down and have a meal with somebody. It just changes the dynamic. It's it's great. I love working with franchisees and and franchisors in in the restaurant industry. It's a blast. Oh, absolutely. Hey, man. Thank you so much, Michael, for coming on the show today. I, like I said, I have the show notes. I will put in uh, the Zeus Work website and any other information you want me to put in there. And uh, thank you so much for like sort of educating us on what's happening with these labor laws and, and how your platform is, um, is uh, addressing that. And also the importance of forecasting because as, you know, as the labor laws spread west to east, which is what's going to happen, we're all going to be dealing with this. There's not going to be any safe space in the U.S. where you're not going to get nailed with this stuff. So thank you so much for coming on the Order Up show. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Take care.